Welcome back to a Passion for Life podcast. I'm Craig Dyer. Thank you for joining us for the second half of the chat I was having with Paul Clark. In the first half, you may have heard how Paul came to know the Lord Jesus from the witness of a school teacher and from his earliest days was really electrified by the Bible, the Word of God. We heard about his formative years in Christian summer camps and at Durham University studying law but never practicing as opportunities opened up for him to get into gospel work with the remarkable Bob File in Durham. So today we pick up there, Paul. You eventually left Durham and were invited to serve at St. Helens Church, Bishopsgate in London, a church that's been the means of enormous good for decades now. So when you went there, what was your role as you joined the staff team? So when I, I first began, I was uh, sent out to Canary Wharf. Um, there was a, a very, uh, the, the beginnings of a lunchtime ministry out there. St. Helens was, as you know, had had this um, Tuesday lunchtime ministry right in the heart of the city. But long gone were the days where people could travel from all over London to come and spend yeah. uh, to a lunchtime service. So they saw the need to establish these lunchtime works across the city. And I was asked to come and uh, get one going in, in Canary Wharf. So that was half my week and the other half I was um, working centrally uh, with the Sunday evening congregation. Tell us, um, I mean, it's so fascinating to, to hear that. So this was the early stages of William Taylor's ministry there, having taken over from, from Dick Lucas in the late 90s. Uh, so you're recruited, you're on staff, you're obviously part and parcel of all that's happening at St. Helens, but your remit is now go and help us plant a work. I mean, what, what was in your head? What was in your notebook? How did you begin that work? Um, of establishing something down at what became St. Peter's Barge? Uh, there, was a, there was a group of people already meeting. It was a, a work run in partnership with a church called St. Anne's Limehouse, and there was a, a little group already meeting. And the great benefit I had was that I'd, I was part of my job was going along on a Tuesday lunchtime and seeing what was happening at St. Helens. And the Dick had been running that work for however many years, 30, 40 years. William had taken it on, and it was simple really to think well let's try and do something similar not nearly as well we were meeting in a broom cupboard to start with we couldn't fit everyone in we had to run multiple things all over the place um but it was we were just thinking all i've got to do is teach god's word and god will do the work mm. that was the conviction that i think i picked up most deeply from st helens that the work of god is achieved by the word of god by the power of the spirit of god that was drummed into us time and again. So how do you, what do you do when you move into a, a community where there were 30,000 people working there already? It was going up to 90,000 people working there over the next couple of years as they built more and more skyscrapers. Mm. What's, our, what's our confidence here? Well, our only confidence can be, let's teach God's word, let's say our prayers, and let's watch him at work. So some believers started coming. We tried to encourage them to share, to invite their colleagues, share their faith with them. And then a few more started coming and then a few more started coming. And that's really how the how the work grew. So it really was a matter of uh, you having a strategy that said we what we what this this part of the city needs is, is, is exactly what the rest of the world needs. It needs to hear about the Lord Jesus from his word. And therefore, you were encouraging the believers to build relationships with their friends. So it was a kind of invitational culture, is that right? Getting them to bring their non-Christian friends from the office to the lunch hour. Was that the idea? Yeah, it was 
it was a long time before podcasts and you know websites and all of that sort of stuff yeah. so um we could only we couldn't advertise in canary wharf it was all privately owned um it's real estate so you couldn't put up posters we couldn't even fly you'd get turned away by security so it really was the only way that we could grow was by word of mouth there was something pretty lovely about that actually we didn't have a building right in the middle of the thing with a big spire that would attract people of its own the only way that anyone was ever going to hear about us was if somebody said something to them and invited them to come along. That's the way it's always been in church history. That's the way it worked in Acts. Mm. It's the way it's worked at, at its best throughout history. And uh, God was kind enough to to start working through it in those days. And I'm, I'm grateful for the simplicity of it. Um, you used the word strategy. I, I almost laughed because we just didn't have a strategy. We didn't even think in those terms. We just thought, let's try and teach God's word and let's encourage people to share their faith. I mean, the... For the guys there, they were spending 50, sometimes 60 hours a week working in the same rooms mm. as these people, going to the same uh, canteens and coffee shops as, as uh, coffee shops as these people. And of course, they therefore must have a concern for the eternal well-being of their colleagues. But if one's living in Kent and one's living in Essex and another one's living in yeah. Surrey, then they're not going to be able to invite them to church on a Sunday so it just made sense to to have somewhere that they could bring them there and then on the on the doorstep. And over these what fourteen years you were there, that work grew, and the Lord's hand was upon it, and nothing changed in terms of that fundamental conviction of getting the word out. Is that right? Yeah. After four or five years, I that work was taken on by someone else. Marcus Nodder came in and and did that. Mm. I I had a few years off for for good behaviour. I went to. Um, went to Oak Hill Theological College and then came back in a slightly different role at, at St. Helens, ended up leading the, the Sunday morning congregation under William's oversight. But that same conviction and principle was driving everything, I think, in, mm. in ministry a, around the place. And so the, it's so easy, I think, in Christian ministry to look for a gimmick or look for a silver bullet or everyone gets excited about this latest initiative or that latest thing. And I was just grateful to be taught, well, look, if we're wanting to disciple people, how are we going to do that? Well, let's rely on God's spirit to work through God's word to grow them in the likeness of Christ. If we're wanting to evangelize people, how are we going to do that? Well, let's teach them about the Lord Jesus from the Bible and say our prayers and ask the spirit to open their eyes. If we're training people for ministry, let's teach them the Bible. We don't need gimmicks and everything else. Let's just keep Mm. teaching God's word and saying our prayers and let's watch God work as he as he loves to do. And it sounds so simple, doesn't it? Uh, almost quaint. And yet we know that this is, this is the prescription that God has given for this world, that his church would speak of him from the pages of his word and that they would meet him there. And of course, this is the thing that the enemy mitigates everything against him to make it difficult for us to give our time. Uh, to this, and that's that's why in this podcast we we want to be exploring this issue of how do we keep our our the gospel front and center? How do we keep evangelism uh, and the health of the local church these two things uh, so closely together? Paul, when you when you moved to Scotland, I guess there were a, a number of uh, culture shocks um, coming into another country, coming into. Um, free church ministry after the after your Anglican experience, but was there a mission culture shock 
when you came north of the border? What did you notice was different? Yeah, I mean, St Andrews isn't quite as Scottish as some other parts, as you, as you know. People keep calling it Surrey by the sea, and uh, <laughs> let's say it didn't. It wasn't quite as much of a of a culture shock as some places m- might have been. But from a church point of view, things did feel did feel very very different. Um, I think there was a greater reliance on the minister to do the ministry of mm. the church. Um, there was a a greater reliance on Sunday as being the not just the the primary place where God's people gather together and hear his word, but almost the the exclusive place. I remember being asked at um at interview, um, what was I going to do to evangelize St. Andrews? And on the one hand, that was a that was a brilliant question because it showed a real desire. Uh, not just for our building to be full, we don't have a building, but the building that we were renting to be to be full on a Sunday, mm-hmm. but to get the good news to the thousands of people in this town who don't know anything about the Lord Jesus, haven't discovered his love and that he's the greatest treasure in the, the world and the only hope for humanity. How are we going to get them to hear about it? It's a brilliant question in that way. But it illustrated the the fact that it's the it was the, in the mindset of some, at least, that it's the job of the minister to do that work rather than the job of the the minister to with the other elders in our context to try and equip mm-hmm. the saints to do that work of making Christ known and that's a that's a massive culture shift it's it's weird it's almost a clericalism um and it it there's a, along with that this conviction that it, it it only happens on the sunday when the minister's preaching yeah, and I wanted to say no, that's not it. It's it's we're on mission all week as a as a church, um, and yeah, it's it's we've all got a part to play in it. I think you pick up on something that that is so key for for us to be continually reinvestigating and rediscovering. Um, you know, you, you you phrased it so well when you said it's the it's the work of the the minister, and don't I mean comment on this. Please, what I just I'm just so struck. What we find in the New Testament is the ministry is never really associated with one person, but the the work of the pastor teacher, the work of the evangelist is, is to do the proclamation, but also to equip the saints for the ministry. That's that really we've got that badly twisted, haven't we, in our thinking? If if we imagine that all of that responsibility is laid on one or two people, and we pay and we pray. And you go and do the job. I mean that that's that's going to be significantly difficult for developing a mission culture. Is that right? Yeah, I think that that is right, and I think you, you've you've nailed it. Um, so w- we don't often talk about the priesthood of all believers these days because priests just seem like this this weird thing. But when God calls us as His church, He appoints every single one of us to be intermediaries between him and the world. So we're mm-hmm. like priests in the Old Testament. We say our prayers um, and we ask, represent people to God as we say our prayers and ask him to work in their life. And then we represent God to people as we we try and speak Christ to them. The Great Commission mm-hmm. isn't just given to the apostles alone, but to all of God's people, to go and make disciples of all nations. We've all got a part to play in speaking the truth in love to one another and building each other up. 
That's not just the job of the minister either, but we've also all got a part to play in making Christ known to those who who don't know him. Doesn't mean we all have to be big extrovert personalities or street preachers or anything like that, but God has appointed each of us to make Christ known to the people that we know. There is no one better placed to reach your mates and say something warm and true about Jesus to your mates than you. Mm. You're the you're in the best place to do that. And sometimes you can do that by inviting people along any number of ways as you'll be exploring through this podcast series and as a, a passion for life is designed to communicate any number of ways that the word of God can can go to people. But uh, we've all got the privilege of playing a part in that. Mm. And it's such an exciting thing to be a part of. And, uh, you know, the church only begins to feel as it should when when we've got that clear. Now, um, when you came then to the Free Church in St Andrews, what was the situation that you inherited there? It was already um, a, a relatively young church plant, but what did you inherit and how have you tried to build uh, upon that at uh, St Andrews Free Church? Well, there was a, a group of people here who wanted to know the Lord and who had a concern to grow as disciples um, and who had a concern to make Christ known. Exactly what that was going to look like, who was going to do the work, I think all of that was up mm. in the air. The majority of the congregation uh, was people who were in St Andrews for a short period of time. Um, I think uh, within two years, over 90% of the congregation had evolved because they just moved on from St Andrews within five years that you could count on one hand I think the number of people who knew my predecessor and that's just because that's what life is like in a university town but rapid turnover sort of thing yeah, yeah exactly and we just wanted to try and establish something sustainable for the longer term under God but with the that great conviction that the Lord has made every single one of us a disciple so we've all got to keep learning and growing disciple means learner we're all learners of the Lord Jesus Christ and God has made every single one of us a disciple maker. So how are we going to have those principles embedded into the, the heart of the, the life of the church? And it, again, there was no big strategy. We didn't have anything other than the, the word of God. We just wanted to teach God's word and to say our prayers and to ask God to work. And I think in all of it, it the, the key, I think, and the confidence must be in God working by his spirit and through his word. It's easy to try and motivate change through force of personality or through guilt mm. or anything. That's It may be short, effective in the short term, but it's never going to produce lasting fruit. What we long for is, the, uh, is a lasting transformation. And I'm convinced that it's, um, because God tells us so, it's the more that we know him, that we will share his heart, his passion for life, his concern for the lost. Mm. So it's all got to be anchored in, in him and knowing him. That the out of the, the evangelism will be the overflow of our hearts' love for Jesus. That's the way it should be. But discipleship will be as well. Every part of our service will flow out of a heart that is captured by him as he as he uh, works in us. And it's great to hear you talk in these terms of the centrality of our hearts engagement, because I think often the criticism of our churches that are committed to the exposition of the word of God is that it feeds the mind, but 
it has nothing to do with the heart and the emotions. And, and that's such a false distinction, isn't it? Because isn't it as our as our minds are illumined that our hearts are transformed? And what we're hearing you say today is that that you really want to um secure and hold the hearts of these people at St. Andrew's Free Church, so that they will be alive to Christ, just thrilled by him, knowing him and loving him, and off the back of that, in the most natural way, just sharing this good news uh, with others. That's a great a great picture, Paul. Thank you for that. Now, the, the a Passion for Life uh, delivery team have been doing a, a, a series of uh, consultations across the UK, and after the Scottish one, uh, you and I were were having a chat, and and I remember you speaking about the fact that you you saw a passion for life um, providing us with a golden opportunity, not only to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ, but also to accelerate the the, the cultural transformation that's necessary in so so many of our churches. Uh, just as we begin to wind this up, Paul, how, how do you see? the public proclamation ministry relate to the mission culture in the local church? So we've touched on this already, but the, the, you've got a strong preaching ministry there. How does that inform the local church in terms of the work of the gospel? Well, the, 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 it's a really good question. And um, sounds like a good thing to have said, but I've no idea what it, what it meant. <laughs> but I, I think that, how does it, how do these two relate? So the the word is is going to be absolutely primary to every every part of the church's life. We're not going to um, get anywhere or achieve anything if we're trying to mm. to do stuff through force of personality. We've said that already, and we want every individual to be f- so filled up with Christ that they're wanting to to speak about Him. So I guess the the pulpit will set the tone of the the mission mm. of the church if we're not excited um about mission from the pulpit then the church won't be if we're not accessible to unbelievers in the pulpit then the the church won't be it will feel as though the whole of christianity is a closed shop for the initiated but what we're wanting is for it to be for for everybody and we're wanting at any point that anybody drops in that they can easily tell what's happening we're speaking in language they understand but we're speaking to them about the things that matter more than anything else they've ever considered about in in life. So the the pulpit will set the tone, but it's never an end in itself. It's not enough that you've got a really strong pulpit in a church and then you think, well, great, now we've we've done church. Church, as you were saying before, is the the, the minister is there to equip. Um, The elders are there to equip the the believers to go out and do the work of um, speaking the truth in love to one another and, and gossiping the gospel with their their friends. I, I love the emphasis there on, on I love everything you had to say, but I think especially tone, setting the tone. In other words, we, we don't just, when, when it's just us, just the church family, we don't rage at non-Christians. We're not annoyed at them for messing up our lovely world, but rather we we speak as those whose eyes, by the grace of God, have been opened to see our own sin and and so this idea of tone is so important that that people catch uh, believers catch how we are meant to think about those who are not believers. They're not just targets. Uh, they're they're not just the enemy. They're not irritants. They're they're people created in the image of God. And 
And I love what you said about the fact that you're you're setting the tone by your preaching of the word of God, by his grace in Christ, his love of the lost, so that people get a real sense of that. Because it's so easy, isn't it, for us to be a bit ticked off at the world and the way it's going and how they're messing everything up. And it would be so much better if, if it wasn't for them. Uh, and yet all the time, they're, they're not the enemy. They're, they've been taken captive by the, by the enemy, by Satan. And we want to see if God, by his grace, might kindly open their eyes and bring them to know his salvation. When, when the Lord Jesus looked at the crowds of, of his day, his heart was filled with compassion for them. Yeah. When he looked over Jerusalem, his heart wept for them. The, the Lord is a, he's the Lord of salvation. He can do whatever he wants. And what he loves doing is saving the lost. He made them and he wants them to, to come to know him. His desire is for all people to be saved. We know that from 1 Timothy 2. So, mm. yeah, we're, we're in step with God when we're thinking and doing church with an eye to um, the, the, those who don't know him and wanting to do everything we can to give them the opportunity to respond to the good news of Jesus. And as you have... Um, thought about this, prayed about it, preached into it, challenged yourself, uh, tried to d- to develop increasingly this this gospel culture at the heart of all you do. What has encouraged you in your own evangelism? Uh, what what examples have you seen of this kind of cultural transformation that have that have really spurred you on, Paul, um, in your love and service of the Lord Jesus? I think um, apart from um, studying the scriptures, the thing I always love is meeting people who aren't ministers, but who are just full of love for the Lord Jesus and engaged in this work. I think of a doctor I know who ended up running multiple Christianity Explore courses just for her friend, just for her her patients who um, inquired after her faith and then she had the opportunity to do that with them. I met just on Zoom a couple of weeks ago a guy who's been a believer just six years. Six years he's been a Christian and already he's giving a couple of days a, a week to um, training others in wow. how they can share their faith with um, with their colleagues because he got going right from the start. He thought, if this is true, I've got to tell my mates. And so he started telling his mates and then he thought, I, not, I want to be better at telling my mates. And then as he got a bit better at telling his mates, other people said, oh, can you tell us how to tell our mates? And uh, he's giving a couple of days a week to huh. it already. And it's just such a joy. And it's it's often not the people who are the the massive extroverts or the standout kind of leaders in human terms with, within a congregation that are like that. Yeah, exactly. But when you you have your, your little old lady in the, the congregation who is just full of compassion for the friends around her who don't know the Lord Jesus, that just, that reminds me that these things are, are real. It's just lovely seeing it, it lived out in the flesh in local churches and it inspires me to want to do it. Look, we've got so far to go. All of us are learning in this game. Mm. And for all of us, there are so many pressures all of the time that any idea of evangelism or mission culture in a church can just slip off the agenda. There's so much that's urgent. But just as well as the being fed by God's word and seeing it in the heart of God himself and in the Lord Jesus, seeing it, it lived by his people is just an encouragement. I couldn't say a stronger amen to that. Our friends in East Africa talk about people catching the fire yeah. and they mean they mean believers seeing 
the joy of evangelism. And then they say, well, he's, he's caught the fire. And it's a glorious thing to see that fire spread. And as you've so beautifully put it, to, for us then to be able to see others and it keeps the, it keeps the fire alight in us as we, as we encourage one another. For church leaders perhaps listening in uh, today, what particular encouragement would you give them to help them on their way in various circumstances to this idea of an ever-growing missing culture in the church, Paul? Anything in particular that you would want to wind up with? Yeah, I just want to re- remind us that when we're making this a, a priority, we're in step with the heart of God him, himself. You know, he is the God of, mm. of salvation. There is nothing left to do on his agenda for the world apart from the for the Lord Jesus to return. And until then, he's growing his church. He's seeking and he's saving the lost. That's That's got to start with me, because again, if, if my heart isn't where it should be on this issue, then it's unlikely that the congregation are going to get it. Um, it's got to start with me. And I just think a passion for life is a wonderful opportunity for me personally to be reminded of the, the priority of reaching the, the lost amidst all of the other things that, that one gets consumed in, in terms of time in, the, in the, the week. It's a wonderful opportunity to talk shamelessly about evangelism to our, to our congregations. It, it puts it on the agenda for a year, whether or not we cannot but talk about it. We cannot but train people to try and uh, play their part in it. And it, it models the fact that sharing the good news of Jesus isn't embarrassing or cringy. It doesn't need to be offensive. It's an, it's an exciting thing. Of course, the gospel can offend, but it's a wonderfully exciting thing that we get to proclaim the Lord Jesus. So I'm I'm thrilled at, at A Passion for Life's happening. I think it's going to give us as a church an opportunity to grow in this area. And my prayer is that that's going to happen around the place as well. It's got to start with my heart, but then it will grow out, I think, into the church at, at large. Well, Paul, very many thanks for sharing with us today. It's been a joy to hear the story of what the Lord has begun and is continuing to do in your life. May he continue richly to bless you, you and your family and your colleagues and the church family there as you serve him together in St Andrews. And thank you so much for listening. We hope it has encouraged your heart and stimulated your mind and that you'll be kind enough to join us again on this podcast from A Passion for Life. We look forward to having Paul's former dorm leader that we were hearing about all these years ago, none other than Rico Tice, talking about loving and living and telling the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Please check apassionforlife.org.uk for details. Lord bless you.